The Parlor Room is an official podcast of Harvard Business School Online. The owner of that second system said, listen, we're going around in circles. It's nice to meet you and so forth. We're in the same business. We can keep in touch and so forth. But, I, I, you know, if you were to put, this is almost a direct quote, uh, if you were to put $15 million in cash on the table, I'll admit I'd be tempted to take it. And if I took it, I'd kick myself. Welcome to The Parlor Room, where business concepts come to life. My name is Chris Lenane. I'm the creative director of Harvard Business School Online. Today, I'm joined by HBS professor Mike Wheeler. I got to know Professor Wheeler while making his HBS online course, Negotiation Mastery. He is an outstanding storyteller and the definition of down-to-earth. Every time I've ever talked to Mike, I've not only learned something, I've been able to apply what I learned to my career. This is going to be a fun episode. So let's get started. Welcome to the parlor room. Whenever you're ready, okay. I'd like to hear this Teddy Roosevelt story. He was running for re-election. He had not run for re-election in 08, but in, in 1912, he wanted to uh, run again. And he decided to run as an independent. Uh, not a de Democrat or Republican, but on the, quote, Bulmos party. Odd name. Um, his publicity committee had a good photograph of him and it created a pamphlet. And they were on the verge of distributing it nationwide. This was in October of 2000, uh, 1912. I'm obviously living a century later here. Um, 1912. Um, that had a picture that they had not secured the rights to use. The credit was on it, Moffitt Studios, Chicago, Illinois. So they were in a position where, well, we could distribute this thing and we would be violating the law, which is mm. not a good thing to do and not a good thing at all for a president no. to, to, to do. So we've got to go and talk to them and see if we can get the rights for it. And they were prepared to pay heavily. Mm. But their campaign manager had an idea, telegrammed the Moffat studio and said, we are interested in using a photograph of President Roosevelt taken by you. It will be seen by potential customers of yours from coast to coast. How much are you prepared to pay us to use it? Whoa. And that worked. And that worked. Wow. Right? So, but there's a lesson to that, right? We're not dealing with that kind of stuff, most of us at least. Mm -hmm. But even when we're in a bad position, when we may think that we have poor alternatives, yeah. don't forget that we may have something to value that the other side uh, is willing, willing to pay for. It's such a valuable way to look at things too, to always yeah. think of the perspectives from different Absolutely. Angles. Got to get in their shoes. Jeez, I feel like there's 20 things that have happened already to me today that I could have had a better outcome <laughs> if I had just thought about it differently. Well, here's the good news. Yeah. Tomorrow is on stage. You'll see it tomorrow. Oh, and I'll make the same mistakes again, Mike. People always want to know this. What's the best way to plan for a successful negotiation? You know what Dwight Eisenhower said about plans? He said, Chris, plans are worthless. 
Plans are worthless, but planning is everything. So you need to have some sort of general approach, and you've tested it, best case, worst case. We hope there's a lot of room for agreement. Is there a lot or only a little? We hope the person that we're going to be engaging is going to be truthful. We hope they understand that we're going to be candid with with them, all those kinds of things, but there are uncertainties in negotiation. Also, in terms of um, the circumstances, I think it was Jeff Bezos who, who said, when we make decisions, we usually have maybe 70% of the information we wish we had. If we wait for 90%, it's too late. Yeah. And in negotiation, I see it as a learning process. We're exploring, we're trying to find where the room for agreement is, how we can take a good deal and make it even better if we're creative. Now, can I can I tell you a story? Please. Of an, my first negotiation I ever remember doing in my life. Yeah. And you can maybe give me a grade, tell me what you think it is. So when I was like maybe 11 years old, I lived in a neighborhood with tons of kids so we're always outside playing basketball, playing baseball, flashlight tag, all that stuff. And one day after school, I was playing street hockey with these two twins, Tom and Abe. They're really small, but surprisingly good at sports. So something was bothering them, I could tell. And after some questions, I figured out that the day before, they had thrown a water balloon at a girl named Celeste as she got off the bus. Celeste's older brother, Blake, had found out about this, and word had got out that Blake was coming for Tom and Abe. So that's why they were stressed. Yeah. A couple, were these identical twins? Yes. So the innocent twin could have been hammered. Could have been, but like, I have a feeling they both were involved. They got word that Blake was looking for them. And a few weeks before, there was another confrontation between, between Blake, who was a big kid, and another kid in the neighborhood over a stolen baseball bat. And when they came head to head, that other kid pretended to pass out. Mm -hmm. Just fell on the ground. Even Blake wasn't going to kick or punch that kid. And he was so committed that that kid stayed on the ground for three hours behind the pitcher's mound while we just played baseball. So Tom and Abe said, maybe we'll pass out when Blake finds us. That's when I got involved and I said, I don't think Blake's going to fall for that twice. Mm -hmm. And even though you're twins, you're probably not going to pass out at the same time. Mm -hmm. Long story short, Blake put one of the twins, Tom, in one of those old metal trash cans okay. with the metal cap and rolled them around the neighborhood for like an hour. And I could hear Tom yelling and I could hear the thumping and stuff and I felt bad. But at the same time, I thought if it wasn't for me, they'd both be in that trash can hmm. because I had negotiated one twin okay. in the trash can and no hills. Is that like A minus, B plus negotiation? Well, you set the bar pretty high yeah. on this. It's got to be an easy grader. Yeah. In, in all seriousness, do you think you saved the second twin that experience? I totally did. Okay. So one of the challenges in negotiation is assessing your performance because mm -hmm. you don't know what would have been if you'd taken another route. And that's true. I mean, let's say you buy something at a good price. Oh, yeah, I feel good about it. I wonder if I could have gotten it even better, right? You will never know. Mm -hmm. So so you've thought about this clearly a lot. A lot. And you've developed a standard. You wanted to minimize the harm. Um, it's too bad that somebody had a really rough hour, but perhaps they're not going to throw water balloons at people getting off a, right. a bus anymore. They deserved so, something, it seemed. Yeah, okay. I just booted you up from B plus to A minus. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank absolutely. You. So everyone won a little bit except for the one kid in the trash can. Yeah.
My interest, particularly in the last 10 years or so, I guess it goes back even further, is basically how you can improvise in a disciplined way. So I'm not saying, well, go in to see what happens. That's not at all. You've got to have something that you could, a jazz musician, that you can riff off of. Mm -hmm. um, but in jazz, it happens in real time. The people, and you do some music, I know, Chris. I do right? not jazz. It's uh, all very planned out, Mike. Okay. I'm gonna... <laughs> but the jazz musicians have something that they're starting with, a structure, mm -hmm. and then they riff off it. They try this, try that, and you know, you're soloing sometimes and I'm copying and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, they're great listeners. And one thing that, that negotiators have to do if they're trying to learn in real time is listen, and the thing that gets in the way is all the chatter in our head. Well, what if he says this? What, put that away. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I wrote a book uh, called The Art of Negotiation, How to Improvise Agreement in a Chaotic World. I should have called it the jazz of negotiation. Mm -hmm. I realized that two years later, which is a little late. It leads with a story. Um, a friend of mine, we'll call him Jay, uh, was teaching with me at the time, and he took a leave of absence. He knew he was going to come back, but he just wanted to be out in the business world for a while. And this was years ago. He was working for an investment company, and this was when cable television was just coming in, and municipalities or counties would have a cable company that would uh, you know, do the wiring, essentially. And they wanted to put their foot in the water. So they acquired in the Midwest um, a small city's cable uh, television thing. They paid something like $8 million for it. Some of that was their money. Some of it was, uh, was borrowed. They got the company into the black pretty quickly, and it was clear that the business was, was growing. They thought, okay, the next step is let's see if we can get some adjoining communities um, under our umbrella. And there was a city just adjacent that had a, um, a system. It was a little bit bigger, but quite comparable to the one that they had bought. So they actually proactively went out to the owner and said, we'd be interested in buying your system. And over a period of months, they went back and forth, perf perfectly amiable conversation. They had figured they could pay $11 million for this, mm -hmm. 12 if they had to, but that really would be pushing it. And finally, they got to a point where the owner of that second system said, listen, we're going around in circles. It's nice to meet you and so forth. We're in the same business. We can keep in touch and so forth. But, I, I, you know, if you were to put, this is almost a direct quote, uh, if you were to put $15 million in cash on the table, I'll admit I'd be tempted to take it. And if I took it, I'd kick myself. Well, now my friend Jay was thinking 11, maybe 12 you want an overlap, right? You yeah. want a situation where the buyer values the service or product more than the person who has it. This is the inverse. Mm -hmm. They are off by $3 million. And Jay took it that um, that was a real number, mm. that, that if he were in a good mood, he might say yes to 15, but it wasn't going to be a penny less. And he was at 11, maybe 12. He started to get up and they sat down again and made a proposal. 
Five minutes later, they're shaking hands and smiling on a deal. What did they do, Chris? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I would think that they had some kind of deal where they met in the middle, and maybe there were incentives or some extra kicker to make yeah, things a Yeah, if they'd met better. in the middle, they would have had a deal that was no good for either one of them. Yeah. So how, it came to an agreement. Maybe the owner is still somehow involved in the company. Mm -hmm. Do you want an answer? Yes, please. So my friend Jay said, if you think your system is worth 15 million, how much do you think ours is? And the guy said, oh, a little less, 14.5. Oh. So he went into that room thinking that he was gonna buy a cable system. He left with a big smile on his face because something they had bought for eight million, some of which wasn't there, they'd tripled their money basically in 18, 18 months. Because he had the agility to see in what most of us would see as an impasse, the opportunity just to flip the deal. Wow. So in real time, it just dawned on him that I mm -hmm. could flip this it, around. That's right, because he had, I mean, maybe that's partly optimism on his part, but also, if you think about it, we have opportunities to negotiate when we have different points of view, mm. right? Um, if we see the th everything as worth exactly the same thing, there's no need to make a trade. There's no incentive to. You know, I'd, I'd like to have issue B, but if you really need it, you can help me out on issue A. You know, um, so here was an instance where the guy valued at a much higher figure uh, what he owned. And okay, we'll sell you ours. I've got some questions for you. Please. First question. Elise in Manchester. What are some common pitfalls to avoid during negotiations, especially as a young professional? One is making the mistake of assuming that negotiation is a win-lose proposition. Mm -hmm. I also think, you know, some people have big egos and so forth, but um, if, if you're not confident about negotiating, um, you know, we have courses on that. People have written books about it and so forth. It can be the difference between making a deal and not making a deal. Mm. It can be the difference between making a deal that kind of works versus one that really has a, a creative aspect of it. But like anything, um, it's worthy of some study. I think a person who's young can get up to speed fairly quickly if she or he um, put a little study into it. Okay, this one's from Min and Seoul. How can negotiators effectively manage conflicts during negotiation process? Well, one thing that's tricky about that is that there are conflicts where there are honest, <laughs> there's real anger yeah. going back and forth. Now, I remember in your course, we had, in your negotiation mastery course, we had the automotive union. Mm-hmm. That old footage in Canada, was that GM or was that Ford? I can't no, remember. GM. GM. We have the footage of that negotiation going haywire. Absolutely. And, and people getting really upset with each other. It's amazing. It's very rare to have real-time, unedited uh, video. And this was um, a strike in Canada between the Canadian auto workers and the factories that were, uh, that were there. And... The biggest problems were within the union. 
mm. uh, where there was a battle for leadership and a lot of X-rated uh, language involved. And the person who was the head of the union was very adept in terms of knowing whom he could be courteous to, even though they weren't necessarily supporting him, and then his biggest rival. And the time came, as you recall, mm -hmm. for him to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Yeah. Um, and it's fascinating. In those instances, you don't want to be surprised by that. If you're preparing for negotiation, what could go wrong here? What would I do if it did go wrong? Can you anticipate everything that could go off the tracks? No. But you could, in a general way, say, I hope we're going to have a good relationship. But sometimes people yell at each other. What am I, I going to do then? Hmm. There's some options. You know, yell back isn't necessarily the right one. Um, um, sometimes letting it pass. Sometimes saying, I, I think we need to take a breather here. Mm -hmm. need to come back uh, uh, at another point. Um, but we want to be optimistic. Um, I think that w we need to say what's the best case, what's the worst case, not merely about the deal, about the terms going to be, but what the relationship is going to be. Hmm. Our last question is from Damien in Toronto. Okay. What are the key skills or qualities that differentiate successful negotiators from the rest? I'm not alone in preaching to the students that they've got to be prepared. What I also preach and don't get much progress on is after action review. Um, so I think you need to scribble a strategy if it's really important more than scribble one. Really lay it out. Have somebody who is a colleague of yours, a friend, um, stress test it. Yeah, but what happens if mm -hmm. sort of thing. And when it's over, review what went on. Now, how yeah. would someone do that in, a, in an effective way? Write down a plan. Mm -hmm. Have somebody else look at it. Mm -hmm. They'll ask you questions about why you believe this or that or raise things that you hadn't occurred to. That's pre. Post, pull that piece of paper out with the annotations on it mm -hmm. and say, okay, where were the surprises? Mm -hmm. And specifically, what worked well, what did not? Mm -hmm. And if you're really disciplined, maybe a little obsessive, but it's a good thing to be obsessive about, if you're really obsessive, you know, curate those. And then you you develop a list of good practices that you've got. And that's a platform on which you can address the other things that maybe you're not so good at. So we covered a lot of ground, Mike. Thank you again for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I had a great time. I had a great time. Maybe I can have you back in the future. Uh, we would love to do that. If you'd like to learn more about negotiation or Professor Wheeler, you can pick up his book, The Art of Negotiation, How to Improvise Agreement in a Chaotic World, or check out his HBS online course, Negotiation Mastery, at theparlorroompodcast.com. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and X for more exclusive content. I'm Chris Lenane. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying The Parlor Room, please share the show with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review it wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.